Thank you, God, for another Sunday morning to stand in this pulpit and preach your word. Thank you for people that have assembled today in your name to give you worship, give you praise, to renew covenant with you, and to hear from the word of the Lord and hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. I thank you, O God, for the message that you've given to me, and I pray, Lord, for an anointing, and I pray for a spirit of liberty and a spirit of remembrance so that I can recall the things that you've said to me. Help me, O Lord, for except you touch me, I cannot preach. And except you touch me, your word will not go forth and the people will not be blessed. But God, if you will speak to us and if you will anoint, then we will leave here touched by your presence and touched by your power. We ask those things humbly in Christ's name. Amen and amen and amen. Turn with me to Joshua, one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's not just coincidental that Joshua and Yeshua are the same word that Jesus comes from that same word that Joshua talks about that God saves. It means Savior. It means deliverer, that God delivers, that God sets free, that God saves and God turns things around, reverses the curse. God has given the gift of salvation to everybody. God has blessed every soul of Adam's race with a wonderful gift, and that is the gift of salvation through the Lord Jesus. There are many doctrines afoot today that name Jesus as one of the ways that he is one among many, that there are many gods and there are many options that you have to choose from to select a plan of salvation. But that's contrary to the word of God. That is not what God's word teaches. In fact, it's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way. Not one of the ways, not a secondary choice, but he said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And he says that no man comes unto the Father but by me, he said. He didn't give room for any kind of smorgasbord of choosing what you may like to choose. He just simply said there's one way to get, get to heaven. There's one way of salvation, and that is through Jesus and through his sacrificial offering at Calvary's cross. And I realize there are prominent theologians, uh, some of which you would probably be very familiar, that would say that the blood, the gory seen at Calvary, was not necessary, for God could have worked in many ways. I disagree with that, because I believe the Bible tells us that it was foreordained from the foundation of the world that Jesus should die for lost people. God determined before anything else that reconciliation and justification could be realized through accepting what Jesus did at Calvary's cross as payment in full for the sins in your life. And when God accepted the offering of his son Jesus, then God was satisfied 
with redemption and the redemptive provision through Jesus. Yes, the cross is necessary. Yes, the shedding of blood is necessary. Yes, it is necessary that Jesus should come in the fullness of time and shed his blood, not spill his blood. A spill is an accident. He shed his blood. It was a purposeful, intentional shedding of his blood for every one of us. And the old song says, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. I want to tell every one of you in this house today that if you had been the only lost soul, Jesus would have come to this world and died for you. For you. What an all-inclusive plan of redemption and salvation that is. And that is God's gift to everyone. And the Bible tells us in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Joshua chapter 4, we read about the children of Israel that were called out of Egypt, that crossed the Red Sea. God did a miraculous thing there, led them to uh, the gateway to the, the promised land, and Zion Jeber and said have faith to go in but they didn't have faith to go in so he sent them back into the wilderness to wander 40 more years until that generation died out and then God said I'll, I'll bring you back you see God will not be defeated the same promise that he offers he'll offer it to another and if you don't want it and you don't have faith to accept it and you won't walk through the door then that doesn't mean he's going to withdraw. It's still there for whosoever will to come and take advantage of the gracious offer of salvation. So we see them camped here at uh, the Jordan River. Now, for years when I was growing up, I thought Jordan River was as big, wide like the Mississippi. But it's not that wide. It's about as wide as for me to... Sweet little old Trish right down there. It's not deep. I'd say it's maybe 15 feet deep. So it's not a, a big deal. But when it floods, it really gets out of banks. It really does. Uh, I was over there at one time when it had flooded. And uh, we had, was it 20, how many, Don? 27 was it that we baptized? Something like that. And the water was so high that the steps leading down to the baptismal area, there's probably 25 or 30 steps to get down to that thing. So it was probably 20 or 25 feet out high. And it was rushing. And you know what it was? It was snow melt from Mount Hermon. So it was cold. So candidates come in and candidates get out. But the one who baptizes, he stays in. Whew, that was tough. But the, that Jordan River was swollen and it was out of banks at this time. And God made instruction and gave provisions. If you'll put the scripture up there for me. Joshua chapter 4. The Bible said that God told Joshua, here's how this is going to happen. 
The Lord said to him, verse 15, let's go to the next one up there. Command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the law, to come up out of the Jordan. What he'd done is God said, take the Ark of the Covenant and march down into the water. And the priest, and the Bible said that when their feet touched the water of the Jordan, it began to roll back and it backed up. And the Bible said the priest came and stood there in the middle of the Jordan River while the people passed through. Now, the 10th verse says they made haste. In other words, they got got in and got out quick. The priest had to stand there, but the people, they they had enough faith to try it, but they weren't going to linger. Come on, somebody. And the Bible said they made haste and ran through that it wasn't that big, but it was a big deal to go down into water. They carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people. Just as Moses had directed Joshua and the people hurried over. They, they kind of got, got things in gear and said, uh, I believe God's going to do this, but let's don't, uh, let's don't tarry too long. You know, hey. God always fulfills his promises. All, in fact, the Bible said the promises of the Lord are yea and they are amen. The Bible is, is full of stories of unbelievable feats of courage and faith and stamina. But there's one thing that I've realized after preaching these stories for all of these years is that God does extraordinary things through ordinary people. That God does impossible things miraculous thing, unbelievable things through ordinary people. We used to sing a little song years ago when we was up on Brighton Avenue with the kids in children's church. God likes people. God likes people, any race, any color, any size. He likes people. He loves people. And he'll do miraculous things through people. Sometimes the people that you would be the least likely to believe God could use, then God would do great things out of just such people as that. Billy Sunday was just a a foul-mouthed 11-year-old kid on the streets of South Chicago when a Sunday school teacher came by and invited him to come to Sunday school with him. And yes, he was a street brawler and he was a cusser and he did all the crazy things that Wild kids do. 11 years old, he was the terror. Everybody else in church came to the pastor and complained about that little Sunday kid coming and making life miserable. For but that Sunday school teacher just kept on. And even through his teenage years, would keep on bringing him to church and paid his tuition to go in, uh, to college at Northwestern University there in, in Chicago, Illinois. And after that, paid for him a tryout with the Chicago White Sox. And he played professional baseball for a while, but then he became a preacher, a preacher. And his name and his contribution to the kingdom of God is written profoundly upon the history of this country. What a preacher he was. Hey, go online sometime and see what he felt about liquor. Buddy, he was a strong preacher about about liquor and prohibition. He lived through those 20s, you know. And brother, that was a a time to really get in the 
thump that Bible and stomp your foot and preach against liquor. And Billy Sunday was so powerfully demonstrative. The pictures I find of him, he's, he's doing, he's doing like this while he's preaching. He's taking his fist. I, I thought, Lord of mercy, I, I wonder if he'd be as popular nowadays. <laughs> Who knows? But what an outstanding figure he was. Who would have thought that little cussing, brawling Sunday kid would ever made a great preaching evangelist like he was? Sometimes the least likely people you think God can use, he uses those kind of folks to do extraordinary things. When you believe that God can change people, that God can gift people, whom, whom the Lord calls, he gifts and he enables. So many times people that are called to do something for God, they stand uh, back and they say, I can't do that, much like Moses. who I, I can't do that, but they don't understand that God qualifies people. When he calls you, he qualifies you. Amen. He gives people special abilities to do things for him that otherwise would, would not be possible. And did you know, it's not always the people who are the most fit and the most uh, beautiful, handsome. And I'm a living example of that. God can use people that aren't all that physically fit. You know, I used to wonder when I was rehabbing this and rehabbing that and rehabbing this and all this rehabbing that we do. And I'd, I'd look and I saw the same folks, you know, would be at the gym every time I'd go. And uh, some of them were uh, pleasingly plump when I met them. And when I finished my rehab, they were still pleasingly plump. And you know what? I got to watching them a little bit, Rita, and I found out that they talked a whole lot. <laughs> they'd lean on the machines and talk, and they'd go over to the treadmill, and they'd lean on the treadmill a while, and they'd, they'd talk. And they'd, they'd go over there where the barbells are, and they'd stand there and tell somebody a story. And after a while, they'd go change their clothes and get in the car and drive on. You can hang out at the gym and be unfit. Is that a good word? You can hang out where fit people hang out. You can talk to fit people, but it won't make you fit. You can lean on the machine, but there won't anything happen. You got to do something with that machine and do something with the privilege to come to a place like that and be involved. You see, the people who accomplish the most astounding things for God's glory aren't the people who feel the most physically fit or mentally astute. Often they're the ones who are the least fit to do battle with the adversary, but instead of letting that defect or disadvantage in their physical prowess cause them to draw back, they are undaunted and they go forward to prove that that disability will not keep them from being what God called them to be. Amen. Sometimes a defect will cause you to have more room for God to do greater things. You'll lean on God more. You'll depend on God more. You'll trust God more when you need him to do things that you can't ordinarily do. You see, when God gives us, he gave them a promised land. Is that a promised land? He said to them, it become a, a family thing in Genesis chapter 12. 
God said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, get up and go to a land that I will show you. And I love the fourth verse of that 12th chapter. It said, so Abram departed. Do you know what that is? That's faith. That's faith. God said, get up and go. So he got up and went. You see, faith is a positive response to what God's word says. When God's word says something, obedience then would be our faithful response. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when the word of God informs us, then obedience then confirms faith has taken hold in our heart and our life. Isn't that great stuff? And I'd like to tell you that, buddy, that was a a step into always doing what God wanted him to do, but it really wasn't. In fact, I'd have to tell you that his obedience was incomplete because he started out and God said, don't take anybody with you. And he said, Lot, would you like to go with me? And he said, sure, Uncle Abe, I'll be glad to go with you. Well, he takes him on. Well, they get over a place called Haran. You're acquainted with that from the Bible lesson not long ago. I call it halfway Haran. You know, a lot of people get halfway. They start well. They take a few initial steps well. But they kind of like where they have arrived and just settle down and say, this is good enough. Come on, somebody. I'm called to Canaan, but Haran, halfway Haran will be all right. I think I'll just camp out right here. But then God spoke to him and said, hey, hey, I need to remind you, this is not where you're supposed to be. You stopped too soon. You quit too early. Keep on going. I've got something great for you, and this is not it. Hey, come on. Somebody touch somebody and say, this is not it. Praise God, this is not it. I, I often, you, you, you quote it to me sometimes. Brother Irwin, this is the day the Lord hath made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Think about what you just said. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, you made several affirmations right there. Who made this day? Say it again. Who made this day? The Lord made this day. Who did he give it to? What is that gift that God gave us called? It's called life. It's called life. Then what is my response to God's gift? I will rejoice and be in it. Wow. So then he gave it. He made it. He gave it. I took it, so now it's mine to manage. The Lord made it, 
and then he gave it. You received it. Now it's yours to do something with it. There's a great little book by Tim Timmons that says, what you going to do with what you got? What you going to do? There are Bible verses replete with an answer to that. What are you going to do with this day the Lord has made and this day he's given to you, this life full of days that he's given to you? What are you going to do with it? I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Not just this day, but tomorrow. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in tomorrow if I live to see another tomorrow. My intention is to rejoice and be glad. The Lord spake to Joshua, command the priest that bear the ark of the testimony, come up out of Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priest, saying, come up out of Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of Jordan and the soles of their feet were lifted up to dry land that the waters of the Jordan returned unto their place and flowed all, all over his banks as they did before. And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho and those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. Now that scripture is good for our church, but it's not just good for our church, it's good for you individually. What is it, what is it saying to us? It says you need to rejoice in what God has given you. I said you need to rejoice in what God has given to you. Amen. Well, it wasn't really on my wish list, Pastor. Well, if God gave it to you, it should have been on your wish list. If it was God's will to give it to you, you should rejoice and be glad for it. Can you imagine? Now, all these years, they've wandered in the wilderness. They've got wandering mentality. They wander here. They wander there. They wander over there. They wander here. In fact, the Bible says about it, they had no certain dwelling place. Now, when people are as vulnerable as they were, God supplied everything they needed. Every morning when they got up, opened the door, and breakfast is on the doorstep. Manna. Water is supplied. Everything that they need. Hey, they had shoes that never would wear out. They had clothes that never tore up or were tattered or torn. They never got, got threadbare, Steve. They just stayed new all the time. Can you imagine? You walked in and say, how long you had those shoes? 40 years. 40 years. I thought I heard you say 40 years. You heard right. I've been wearing these babies right here for 40 years. Well, they look brand new. Yeah, they do. They, they look just exactly like they did the day I took them out of the box. Hey, we've got people here that are so dependent upon God that he keeps shoes on their feet, clothes on their back, and food on the table. But now, suddenly, they've passed through something. Suddenly, they have made it through a terrible, terrible thing that was blocking them from the promise and the blessing of God. Can you rejoice with them that they made it through it? Is there anybody here today that's ever made it through anything? Anybody here ever come through something? 
Well, you're at one of a couple of three places. You're either going into something or you're in the middle of something or you just came out of something. Because that's kind of what life is. That's kind of what life, the, 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 the secret to all of this is whether you're going into something, rejoice and be glad in it. When you're in the middle of something, rejoice and be glad in it. When you come through something, you rejoice and be glad in it. In other words, nothing interferes with you rejoicing and be glad in because it's the day the Lord has made and you made the choice, I will rejoice and be glad in it. No matter what this day is, no matter what this day holds, no matter what the events are of this day, I will rejoice and be glad in this day. Wow. I don't know many people that can can say that today that everything I've ever been through, I rejoiced in the middle of it. I'll have to tell you, there have been some times. What was that verse you sang there, Linda, about there were some times when I, I didn't trust like I should and I didn't believe like I should and I, I didn't walk by faith. I, I walked by my flesh and not my, my, my spirit and, and I walked by my own direction and didn't seek the Lord's direction and I, wound up that it hurt me and it caused me to have sorrow and heartache and despair. Come on, somebody. Paid a terrible price to have it my way. Paid a terrible price to do it my way. Come on, somebody. But then she gets to the chorus that says, I never lost my hope and I never lost my joy. Never lost my faith, but most of all, but most of all, but most of all, I never, ever lost my praise. You see, if your rejoicing depends upon what's going on around you, if your rejoicing depends upon who's preaching and who's not preaching. If your rejoicing depends upon who's singing and who's not singing. If your rejoicing depends upon some other person or some other event or something else that's happened, then I've got news for you. The kind of rejoicing that I'm talking about doesn't ride on the coattails of any individual. It doesn't depend upon the approval of anybody else's rejoicing or not rejoicing. In fact, there may be some folks that'll come around and kind of scold you for your rejoicing. There may be some folks that'll tell you, you don't really have a right to be rejoicing. You you really ought to be mourning and be sad. Why, Why is that smile on your face and why are you rejoicing? Why are you saying praise the Lord? and all that stuff. Why are you saying that? You ought not to be talking like that. You ought to be sorrowful. You ought to be grieving. No, I made a decision. This is the day. This is one of those days. One of those days of my life that I I made a decision. I will rejoice and be glad in it. 
I'll rejoice down at the funeral home. I'll, I'll rejoice over at the emergency room in the hospital. I'll rejoice down at my house on the back porch. I, I'll rejoice driving down the highway. I have determined that his praise will continually be in my mouth. I will rejoice in the Lord always. I will trust him. I will obey him. I will live for him. I'll serve him. And I will not fail to rejoice evermore. God. Brother, on Friday nights when we used to find scripture scrambles, John eleven thirty five 35 was the first to go. Jesus wept. Next one is 1 Thessalonians 5 and 6. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice, short verse, but big message. Rejoice evermore for all time for all occasions, at all places, in all situations, evermore. Rejoice evermore. Can you say that with me? Rejoice evermore. Yeah, evermore. Yes, sir. It's a choice. I said it's a choice. I can do what my flesh wants to do and withdraw. I can go back in my little cave, come on, where it's kind of solitary and it's kind of gloomy and it's kind of dark and it's kind of desolate. And I can hang that little do not disturb sign out there. Preacher, don't come by here preaching that rejoice stuff to me. You just don't know what I'm going through. You just don't know what happened to me. You just don't know what they said about me. You just don't know what I lost. Rejoice always. Evermore, always. It doesn't give us categories. It just simply says evermore. Evermore. To everybody, everywhere, every time. Praise God. I wish I could do that, but you can. Don't ever let your rejoicing, don't ever let your rejoicing be subdued or silenced by the criticism of the scorner. There'll always be somebody that'll feel like you ought not to be rejoicing. But listen, the quality of your rejoicing does not depend upon what a scorner may think about you and how you worship. Praise God. The Bible said praise is comely for the righteous. You know what that word comely means, Shelby? It means good manners. Praise is good manners. Praise is good manners. Rejoicing is good manners. Worship is good manners. Glory to God. In fact, the Bible just simply says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Give the wind a mighty voice. Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Let the nations rejoice. Let 
all peoples clap your hands and lift up the Lord Jesus and praise and magnify and exalt. Come and magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You see, if you do what you do to persuade people or impress people, if I preach to make you happy, then I have missed the mark. If I preach because you expect certain, I've missed the mark. Galatians 1 and 10, the apostle Paul says this, and now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. If I'm trying to win the popularity contest, then I can't be the servant of Christ. If it means more to me that you like me than he approves of me, then I can't be the servant of Christ. Because if my motivation for preaching the word of God is to make you happy or make you leave here feeling good, sometimes the word of God don't make you feel good. Well, Brother Jerry, that comes as a surprise to me. Well, I started to say, do you want me to tell you some of those verses and see how good it makes you feel? Love your enemies. Pray for them that use you. That say all manner of evil against you. Well, Brother Jerry, do I have to pray for them? I can just let them alone. That's enough, isn't it? No, the Bible said pray for them. I told you, if a man asks you to go a mile with him, go two. My Lord, one's tough enough, preacher. Go two. Come on. You ask for it. Sometimes the word of God, if you preach what the word of God, what God lays upon your heart to preach, brother, it's a tough thing to do. It's a tough thing to do. I don't know at the times I've gone home and fell across the bed and cried and said, God, I didn't enjoy preaching like that. But if you're going to be a a true servant of Christ, then the opinion of people has to be secondary to what God calls you and ordains for you to do. The most unloving thing I can do is not tell you what God wants you to know. The most unloving, uncaring thing I can do as a pastor is to not tell you what God wants you to know. For see, if you preach the whole counsel of God, there's some things there that won't make you popular. Wow. Don't ever let your rejoicing depend upon what people think. 
Has anybody in this house had, had a miracle? Anybody in this house had a miracle of God? Boy, that's some hands going up. Well, let's talk now about how you manage your miracle. Manage my miracle. Some of you God's done great things for. God's done some great things. Many of you are sitting here just like those children of Israel. You see, when they, when they got to the promised land, when they got across Jordan, it was time now to change your whole life. Because now, you're not a wanderer, you're at home. And now, there's not going to be any more delivery on your doorstep of, of breakfast. You're going to have to plant a garden. And you're going to have to get out there and hoe the weeds out. You're going to have to till the soil. And if you've got animals, you're going to have to go out there and plant some pasture grass. And you're going to have to find some watering places. And you're going to have to start maintaining a home. You've got to start a family. You've got to start caring for the people that depend upon you. Everything changes now. In other words, God has blessed you. He's brought you to the promised land. It's your possession. Possess your possession. What does that mean? That means I'm responsible. I've got to build a barn. I've got, I've got, to, I've got to get in here and, and maintain a, a dwelling place here. I've got to, this is home now. I've got a family here. I, I'm not free to wander around and have everything handed to me anymore. Well, Brother Jerry, I like that, that, that hand it to me. I, I like that, uh, you remember when, when, when God told them, he said, said, pass over this Jordan, and now arise therefore and cross over this Jordan. You know, God could have put a bridge over and they could just walk over it. Or God could have just said, hey, let me move y'all to the other side. Let me just carry you over to the other side. There's no need in going through. Let's just go over. I've crossed over Jordan to Canaan's fair land. And this is like heaven to me. Well, that song needs to go another way. I've passed through the Jordan to Canaan's fair land. Because some things God don't want to just pick you up and carry you over and ignore the whole thing. Some things are there for a purpose. I used to walk out down up there in those Ohio winters. And Rachel, when she'd see that snow that deep, she'd look at me and she'd say, Daddy, carry me. Carry me. Sometimes when we'd start to walk out on some pavement off the lawn, and it'd be hot summer, and she'd look at me and she'd say, Pick me up. Kind of like us, huh? As soon as something gets in the way, as soon as there's an obstacle, as soon as there's a difficulty, a hardship, or something hurtful or painful. God, pick me up! Set me across! But there are some things 
that God wants you to go through. And isn't it something that they were, they were passing through and the priests were standing in the middle? Standing in the middle. Is that what it said? In the midst. They stood in the midst. That's where I have the most trouble, don't you? Is the middle. God, it's great here on Sunday morning, but sometimes the middle is at 3 o'clock Wednesday morning. It's middle. Lord, what am I going to do in the middle? At the beginning, going in, I've got faith and got the challenge and praise God, I'm all excited. And at the end, I got celebration. I made it through, but in the middle. Brother, when I'm in the middle, that's where the difficulty is. That's where the hardship is. Come on, you're just like me. I know you. But here these guys, the priests stood there while the people hurried through. Somebody had to stand to let the others go through. You see, God sometimes needs some strong, mature, experienced, faithful, steadfast, prayerful, come on, people that don't mind standing in the middle. Yeah, it's tough. Other folks hurry through it. But some folks can stand there. Come on, somebody in this house. You see, the Bible said that you that are strong ought to support the infirmities of the weak. What that tells me is there are some of us that are strong and there are some of us that are weak. I don't know where that measure and meter is. Wish I had one. No, I really don't either. Nope, really don't. But faithful people can stand while others, you've just got to manage it. You've got to manage it. When God brings you something through something, come on, Connor, and help me quit. They'll think I'm quitting if you come play. In, second, in First Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 8. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. Karos is the Greek word. If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Well, what's going on? Well, we said we was going to rejoice and be glad in it, but we came to a day that was a severe day. It was an intense day. It was a tough time. Wherein, in all of this, you greatly rejoice. But now there's come a season when you had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Suddenly, you find yourself in a difficulty, a hardship, something that is so intense and so powerful that that rejoicing that you've always got is kind of impeded and you don't have that great exuberance and that exhilaration, but actually you feel the exhaustion of struggling against it. And you come to a time, he said, when the heat gets turned up in the furnace. Next verse, please. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes 
even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus comes. Hallelujah! There's something that praises God and gives God more glory than anything else. What's that, pastor? My trial, my suffering? No, it's not the fact of the trial, and it's not about the suffering. It's the fact that you made it through it. It's not the intensity. It's not how bad it was. It's not, not how mean it was. It's not about how, how heartbreaking it was. It's not about how sorrowful it was. The fact that gives glory to God is one thing. What is it? You made it through it. And he said it's more precious. It's more precious than fire-tested gold. I'm getting me an expedition up, Doug, for the Bering Sea. You might want to invest in it. I found out they do some dredging up there in the Bering Sea for gold. And sometimes they said they have a hundred ounce week. Can you believe that? What is the price of gold per ounce right now? What is it, about a thousand bucks? Twelve hundred? Woo! Well, brother, if I have a hundred ounce week, what if I had a hundred ounce day? Hey, we won't need many hundred ounce days to pay this sucker off. Woo! God says, there's something that means more to me and it's more precious to me than if you were to go up there and have a hundred ounce year. Every day of the year you had a hundred ounce day. And there's something that means more to me than that. You've got to be kidding me, God. Lord, we can do all kinds of things. Hundred thousand dollars a day times 365 days getting up to 3 billion there Whew. we can pay for a lot of these kind of things and God says there's something that's more precious to me than gold worth 3 billion dollars what in the world is it God it's when that little lamb of God named Michelle endures the intensity of the fire and makes it through the dilemma and goes through the suffering and goes through the pain and goes through the difficulty and goes through the hardship and with faith intact she comes out on the other side. This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. God said that means more to me than if she is to make three billion dollars in a year. I thought that'd get a Jericho march going around this place. My Lord, you kidding me? You mean God is more praised and more glorified by that 
sweet little lady making it through a trial than it would be if I was to put $3 billion in this church. That hadn't soaked in on you guys yet or you'd be shouting your shoe heels off. You mean every time, Pastor, that the intensity is turned up, God gets more glory? Well, you see about that gold refining, there's an there's a element in refining gold called slag. And there's only one thing that can separate slag from gold. And that's heat. And the hotter you turn it up, the more severe and intense and fervent the heat, the more separation comes with the slag and the impurity so that the refiner, the refiner can reach down there and get that slag and dip it off. And then you've got pure gold. You don't have slag and impurity in it. How many of you ever, I'm going to try to close, I promise. How many of you have ever watched those westerns, Charles, I know you have, where they had to get to the assayer's office and file your claim? Because if you could beat somebody else to the assayer's office and file your claim, then nobody else could get your gold. Glory to God. You know who the most important person is in that whole process? It's the assayer. Because when you first discover that there may be some gold in a place, you take it to the assayer. And the assayer determines two things. Number one, he determines the purity of the gold. Yes, it's really pure. It is a vein of gold. Second thing is, is there enough of it to sink a mine? So when God looks at that life that you live, he becomes the assayer. And he tests the quality of the ore, the gold. And he can only assay and come to a conclusion about the quality of the gold by turning up the heat. And once he's determined the quality and the purity of the gold, then he's got to answer, is there enough of it for me to invest in? See, when God looks at Trish Watts, he starts the assaying work. And when temptation and trials come, then he's assaying and he's registering the purity of the gold. Hallelujah. And then he determines, has she got enough of that for me to send my son to Calvary's cross? Is there enough there? Is there enough quantity and quality there to validate me investing? Well, you're going to get it in a minute. Investing the blood of my son Jesus to come into the world and die 
a sacrificial death and be raised in a resurrection that defeats death and hell and the grave? Is it worth me going through the investment of sending my son into the world and dying upon a cross so that there can be a salvation? Is it worth it? Is her faith, is his faith worth? Is the quality there and is the quantity there to validate my investing in Jerry Bozeman? In Tina Winter? Is there enough there for me to invest in Mark Green. Yes, Glory to God. So when you're going through that assaying process and when the fire is turned up, say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Don't wilt. Don't withdraw. Don't get bitter. Don't become angry because the Lord's trying to say the quality and the quantity. If he can find the quantity and the quality, he'll say, well, I made a good judgment. When I sent my son into the world to save sinners, I invested wisely in Linda Bolton. I invested wisely in Demetrius McGee. I invested wisely in, in Charles. I invested wisely in David Chalk. I invested wisely. He saved the situation and he found faith and he said, the investment is worth the effort. Oh, you need to give God some praise. Though it be tried by fire, might be found as under praise at the revelation of Jesus. When is that going to be, Pastor? I don't know. I've been preaching about it 46 years, but I don't know when it is. Nobody knows but the Father. And he knows. And the Bible said he hath appointed a day. He knows when that day is. I don't know when that day is. But there's an appointment calendar somewhere. And there's a day that's got a ring around it. And it says rapture day. Go get my people day. Glory to God. In the day when he will be revealed. There's coming a day. Hallelujah. There's coming a day. When the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's the day that it's going to be worth it. I said that's the day that it's going to be worth it when Jesus is revealed, when Jesus comes. Stand with me all over this place. Praise God. If you're here in this house this morning and you want to pray and talk to God about the quality of that, that gold, you want to say, Lord, there have been some times when I rejected the heat. There have been some times when I really didn't want the heat to come. But now I realize that you was just testing. You were just a saying. Hallelujah. You were just investing in me. Thank you, God, for caring enough about me to invest in my life and invest in my heart, and invest in my family. Praise God, you need something from God? Step out from where you are. Come on down here, let's pray. Come on, come on, all over this house, come on. Come on down that aisle and let's pray, come on. Thank you, God, come on down that aisle, praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, thank you, God. Thank you, wonderful God, thank you, wonderful God. Praise your name, Jesus, praise your name, Jesus.
Praise your name, Jesus. Praise your name, Jesus. Thank you, God. 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 Thank you for the test. Thank you for the investment. Thank you, Lord, for the challenge. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for life. This is the day the Lord hath made. I'll rejoice in this day. 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 Well, I thought you was going to Birmingham to eat with your kids. I am, but I'm going to rejoice while I eat. Going to rejoice while I drive. Going to rejoice while I talk. I'm going to rejoice all day today because this is the day he gave me. This is a day in my life, and I'm going to spend my life rejoicing in the Lord and being glad. I said, be glad. I said, be glad. Touch your neighbor and say, be glad. Be glad. Oh, glory to God. I felt that all the way up here. Be glad in it. Don't be sad. Be glad. Don't be mad. Be glad. Let God do something for you today that will make you glad. Brenda Sama said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to church. I was glad when he said, let's go to the house of the Lord. Glad, glad. The Bible calls these, this gospel I preach glad tidings. Glad tidings of great joy. Glad, glad. My Lord, about to tear out running. You know, glory to God. I feel a little Pentecostal this morning, or a whole lot Pentecostal, don't you? Thank God for the difference Jesus makes. Put your antenna up. Lord Jesus, in your name, I declare that this is the day. This is the hour. This is the moment. This is the time. And I have made up my mind. I'm gonna live my life rejoicing in the Lord and being glad in Jesus' name. Every foe is defeated. In Jesus' name, every weapon is defeated. In Jesus' name, every enemy, every adversary, every opposition, in Jesus' name, is come to naught. And in Jesus' name, I declare I am victorious, I am free, I'm a worshiper, and I will spend my days serving and worshiping the Lord in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. When I was a little old boy, my daddy was preaching revival. Brother Jennings and Murfreesboro, Tennessee. First elevator I ever got on in my life was at a department store in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. A lady in the church where he was preaching a revival said, Evangelist said, I bought you a pair of shoes. They're paid for. You just go to the shoe department at the Vogue. At the Vogue. And said, I've already paid for it. It's already done on my account. You pick out any pair you want, they'll fit you. 
You go by there and get them. I went with my daddy and went up the elevator to the second floor to the shoe department. Real nice place right now. I'm talking about way up here. They were all dressed in the same uniforms, you know, and all real pretty people. Pretty people. And me and that Cherokee Indian daddy of mine went walking in that department store, stuck out about like a daffodil in an onion patch. And my daddy said, uh, that lady told me she'd bought some shoes. Oh, yes, sir, yes, sir, come right on over. And uh, he went over and it's fitting him. He said, we got a special on, said, uh, when we, if anybody buys a pair of shoes, said, uh, we've got a little recording device over here. We can make a little recording if you'd like to. And Dad said, I, that sounds good. I'd like to do that. He said, well, what are you going to do? Daddy said, I'll sing a song. He said, well, have you got any instrument to play? He said, no, I hadn't got it with me. If I'd have known I was going to do this, I'd have brought it, but I didn't bring it. But that's all right. He said, I don't need one. And that salesman, Ray, started motioning all them other salespeople over there. Jeff, y'all come on over here. We're going to have some fun with this local yokel. got over there and he said now I'm going to turn these knobs when I get them right I'll nod at you and said what are you going to do he said I'm going to sing a song he said what are you going to sing he said I'm going to sing it's all over now he said well I don't know that but it'll be all right he said I'll nod at you he nodded at my daddy and daddy said oh Jesus is my dearest friend I'm glad I'm not what I have been I'm saved, I'm free from every sin. It's all over now. He took this soul and made it glad. Remove the things that made me sad. I'm glad to lose that load I had. It's all over now. I won't sing all them verses, but, but he got through and they looked around them, them women with wiping mascara, old pancake all over their face. He said, said, I tell you what, said, I'll turn that right over. He said, you can make one on the other side of it. And Daddy said, well, just turn it right over. I'll sing you another one. He turned it over and Daddy sang, come and see me in my new home. When you get to heaven, some morning fair, and the Savior gives you a crown to wear. You will want to visit with all you've known, but come on over and see me in my new home. See, they, they followed us down that elevator and out on the sidewalk and all the way to the car and said, where'd you say that revival was you, you was preaching? He said, out here at the, uh, the Church of God. Uh, here at Murfreesboro, said, we'll be there tonight. Do you know those people came to that revival, found their way to an altar, Jeff? Close of that revival, my daddy baptized them and took them in the church of God. What, what happened? What happened, preacher? You see, somewhere from Joshua 4 to Judges 2, when he died, in Judges 2.10, it says this, it said, after Joshua, there arose a generation that knew not God, nor the things he had done for Israel. What happened? They quit telling the story. They piled the rocks up. 
But Don, they quit telling the story. They never thought to tell the story. You know, Charles, I don't want to quit telling the story. John, I don't want to quit telling the story. David, I don't want to quit telling this story. It's old now and people act like they don't want to hear it. But I don't want to quit telling that story. Because I don't want a generation to come along that said we don't know anything about a, a God. or I don't want that to happen. So I'm going to keep telling the story. I'm going to tell it in here in this pulpit. I'm going to tell it out there on the side of the road. Mark, I'm going to tell it over at the workplace. I'm going to tell it down at the grocery store. I'm going to tell it out there on the golf course. I'm going to tell it everywhere I go. Because we can't quit telling the story. God, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much for what you did for us this morning. Thank you for the touch of God. And I ask you, God, to give us more experiences like I talked about this morning when I was a boy. God, help us to hold up the message and tell the story and tell this world that Jesus saves and Jesus heals. Lord, you'll fill this church up if we'll lift, pe- lift you up to people. In Jesus' name, let's carry the Lord Jesus with us as we depart today in his name. Amen and amen. God bless you and God go with you. It's my prayer. Great to have you at church today.